Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Ad News Podcast, the podcast that celebrates the industry's penchant for a sociable drop and a chat. Hello and welcome to the Ad News Podcast. I'm the Ad News Online Editor, Pippa Chambers, and in today's podcast, we're joined by the founding trio of Atomic 212, as well as Ad News Editor, Rosie Baker. We're joined by the CEO, Jason Duras, Chairman and Chief Commercial Officer, Barry O'Brien, and Chief Digital Officer, James Dixon. So guys, obviously we know you go way back. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about how you all know each other? Yeah, so James and I, uh, James, you tell a more honest version of the story than me, but basically we met each other, what's this... 2016, 25 years ago, at uh, university. James, literally the moment we met was what? Jason walked up to me at the halls of residence and asked me to join the basketball team. And, and did you? We never played basketball, sadly. <laughs> we did raise quite a posse, but we never made it further than the bar. We never actually made it to the courts. Yeah. But um, that was 25 years ago in art school in London, and um, many years passed, and uh, around the time... That James was considering other options in life. He was living in Jersey, Channel Islands, off the coast of England. And for years, um, I'd been reminding him that he was the godfather to my children and yet had never sent them a card or Aww. a present or a call. And I said, why don't you move out to Australia? And I don't know whether that had any influence, but a few years later, he ended up out here. Yeah, it did have some influence. I did want to get out, a bit of a sea change away from the UK into the hot, sunny climates of Australia. I was one of the many poms coming over in 2007. Pippa and I can both definitely uh, agree with that one. And Jersey, of course, being a place in England where actually the surf's pretty good and it can be reasonably warm. So I met Jason with um, through my time at Channel 10 uh, and as such I got introduced to James. I remember him walking up my stairs there at home. He had a computer in his hand and... Uh, we sort of we clicked from about that moment on because he was able to show me how to turn the uh, thing on and download a whole heap of stuff. So I thought <laughs> he's a handy bloke to have around. Yeah. I want to go back to what one of my roles. One of my roles is keeping Barry's computer on. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you spend ninety percent of your time not, doing? Not, not quite. Not quite. The other ten percent is with his iPhone, <laughs> keeping that on. Hardly. And so a couple of years ago, you guys all kind of got together and decided to launch your own shop. So tell us a bit about how you came to that decision and what are some of the lessons that you've learned in starting a business from sort of from startup to, you know, that journey? So look, a whole bunch of questions in there, guys. I might have a crack at this first time. But part of it relates to, um, to probably how Barry and I met, uh, which was in a, obviously a former life before the one here where uh, Barry was working at 10 and I was... Uh, another agency at that time, and there was that moment of bluff calling around a particular deal. Do you remember the one? Mm. And um, There was more bluff than calling, yeah? There was more bluff than calling, but it worked. And from um, this particular moment, we actually built up a relationship and I think, you know, recognised mutual skills between us that would work well if we ever happened to, uh, to launch a business. The business itself um, <clears throat> came about from the idea that Media was fundamentally changing and there was a need within the media industry um, or there was a gap in the media industry for a business that did two or three things differently. One of those was 
brought creative thinking and the creative product itself right to the center of media. And with an ABS, as we call that, agile creative media, it's being able to do things nimbly, quickly, and as I say, bring innovation through. And we just weren't really doing that. The organizations that we're all familiar with were growing faster and faster and bigger and bigger and bigger, and more silos were being presented. So while there are wonderful, awesome, great multinational agencies, we didn't feel that gap was being filled and we thought we could do it. Second, of course, is a lot of... Um, a lot of issues starting to bubble over in relation to the, the practice of, of agencies and transparency and, and many, many different things like that. And um, the opportunity was definitely there to go to market with a, a product and service that was focused on creating a more transparent environment practically by doing a lot of things that give, gave our clients the right systems and tools to be able to view bits and pieces like that. Um, and the last one was opportunity, really. It was the right opportunity for us personally to go and do something different. We were hungry and energetic for uh, taking on um, something a bit different. We recognised that agencies were in decline in terms of their business model, and this felt like the right time to do it. I think the other thing was um, there was a business. James had set up a business, a very good business in terms of a search business. Um, Jason had mentioned that we had met my time at 10. He was in a multinational agency. We saw an opportunity there to be able to sort of bring uh, the online side of it and also the above-the-line side. Uh, and we've had pretty good success. Uh, it's been, it's had its moments in terms of toughness and, uh, and whatever else, but uh, here we are sort of... My wife often corrects me, we're not three years old yet and we're, uh, we're 120 million plus business. So we've got some great brands, we've got a great business down in Melbourne, uh, we've got some great clients up here, we've got tremendous people in terms of the opportunity that's come out of that and grown out of that. So um, we often look at each other and go, did this really happen? So we're hmm. sort of, we're pretty happy in terms of where we're sitting and, uh, and what we've been able to achieve. You know, on the digital side, um, it's even larger than that now, based on what we originally had there and the growth around that that James has put in before that. But how hard is it to kind of balance this, you know, amazing growth, big figures, you know, winning great awards like the Ad News Media Agency of the Year, um, but with that kind of sustainable growth? Because, you know, we've read about some of other agencies or maybe independents, they take on a few big clients and then things, you know, may hit the fan, they lose those clients, you know, and lose people. And obviously that's just something you do have to keep in mind when you're growing really strongly. How do you kind of match that growth with a sustainable business? It feels pretty natural to all three of us, I think, to give high service. That's very much core in our DNA. So we've never lost a client. Um, even through scaling, the three partners keep a very active role with the clients. And we work through the clients in terms of we have relationships from C-suite down to all the um, media marketing managers. Uh, and that's that's held at the top. But through the business, we encourage a lot of... Um, uh, close client collaboration and that stood us well in terms of retention. And so obviously you've um, you've had a lot of success in the kind of the three short years that you've been um, been around and you've um, obviously had news agency of the the year in the media category but um, and you know you're obviously never never scared to sort of say something controversial and have an opinion. I think that when you guys kind of launched up you know you kind of ruffled a few feathers of the the big networks in the market how do you kind of respond to that? Look, I think um, the market is used to, in many ways, being dictated to by the, the larger networks. Um, a lot of the larger networks, group buying houses and so forth, 
you know, ultimately have evolved to be able to command those bigger positions. Um, the smaller fish in the sea would typically fall into line there. Um, the world was changing at that time, though. I think us standing up to some of those larger networks was also a general reflection of the importance of buying versus planning and results and systems and client focus in the marketplace. Um, it certainly was an interesting year or two in the beginning, and uh, you know there were a lot of unusual tactics floating here and there in the marketplace, uh, which um, we felt it was important to kind of put our own point of view forward, because ultimately being independent and having an independent point of view was one of the pillars of launching the business. And the industry in many ways is under siege against those things which aren't independent. So naturally we expected a few bullets to be flying our way and, uh, and did a little bit of preparation for that, albeit not, uh, probably not as much as we should have. I think the other thing is, you know, you, you look at yourself in the mirror every day. We're paying ourselves. We're the people who've actually backed ourselves. So it's like if we're worried about what everyone else thinks and says, we're not getting out of bed. So we've had to go and back ourselves. We've had to go and put all the hard yards in, go and do all the pitches, go and do all the presentations, go and win these clients and, and maintain the relationships, etc. And we we backed ourselves from uh, from day one. We've had great success and the clients are enjoying our story, the media owners are enjoying our story and clearly you guys in terms of, yeah, we're at Agency of the Year, which is fantastic, um, you liked our story also. So it's sort of, it's phenomenal growth, but it's also based on we had to deliver and we've done that. Mm. How long can you really hold your own as an independent before you have to, you know start I don't know, scaling even further or maybe conversations about buyouts and that you know what's the kind of long-term plan and you know how big can an independent get look we, we didn't set up the business to be small and we're not growing to get smaller either so we're not afraid of growth um which is why we don't use words like boutique and, and things like that um <clears throat> we're not focused on uh size as a differentiator or an enabler of our business model or where the business has got to at the moment. We're focused on um, the way that we work and our process and, as I said, what we call agile creative media. So from that perspective, we, we can continue to grow. The The multinationals who, who may, you know, typically acquire an independent business um, may do that to scale. We're not, and typically an independent may need their resource or historically from a group buying point of view and things like that. Those aren't things that we've needed to date. So um, that's not key or a factor on our agenda at the moment. Um, of course, one thing that they, the typical acquirers of businesses do do is have the advantage of your, mul your multinational clients. So if we reach a point where we've saturated all the clients locally and we believe we have a lot to offer in those situations, then there's probably good conversations to have. So you can never say never on the, the multinational question. No, no, never say never, particularly because, of course, the multinationals themselves are striving very hard to change and evolve. And uh, if we can be a part of helping them, then uh, that's a great story. What do you make of uh, some of the launch of the other, you know, maybe some new independents or you hear about another, uh, you know, previous agency exec that's launching his own independent agency? Do you think we're going to see more of those? And also, what are your views when you hear about those? Do you... I mean, not worry because it's again, it's still more competition in the market. Or do you admire that because they're doing what what you did yourselves? Wait. Look, I I think it's great. Um, 
So in, in that particular one you're talking about, I'm, I'm, I can imagine one or two or, or who they are. It's interesting, a lot of those agencies now are launching and their launch line is, we're here because there's no transparency in, in businesses and the, the two most recent launches both launched with that banner behind them. And I think, great, go for it. It's a, it's a true and very valid um, scenario. Uh, I think for us, when we launched, although you commented earlier that we've been very vocal in the market back in those days, or, or even currently about things like that, you kind of had to treat tread just that little bit more careful. And um, momentum is built behind that. And uh, I think, great, the more the merrier. It's uh, it's building the independent market. In fact, Barry, you just gave me a crazy stat the other day about independence. What was that? Yeah, it was, um, and it's the line that I was going to lead off uh, there was a whole heap of us at a uh, lunch recently and we got introduced as the second largest um, trading group in the country. And we all looked at each other and thought, that's pretty good. Mm. Because when you're, and you know, Jason and I have had big, uh, big agency backgrounds, etc. And you know, the size is very important in terms of when you're pitching and when you're presenting and whatever else. To be able to sit there and go, all of these independents are now sort of the second largest group. And I know that there's a whole heap of multinationals that'll be sort of going through the numbers going, that's, you know, that's just absolute crap. But that was a figure that was thrown, uh, thrown at us uh, by a, um, a major media owner. And you think, that's a, that's a nice standing. In terms of independents coming in, we welcome them. We, we really do. It's, it, it, it's an opportunity. It's someone having a crack. And you think, we were there sort of three years ago. We know exactly where you're up to and uh, how tough it is. And, and good luck to you. So transparency has kind of come out in um, a few of the things that you've said. It was obviously pivotal to kind of how you guys launched in the market and, um, you know, not a conversation, a conversation that we have with media agencies doesn't go by without transparency coming up. I mean, do you think that things are changing and improving in the market or do you think that it's often still just a lot of talk rather than actual progress being made on transparency? I think that it is improving and I think more importantly, the will to improve is absolutely there because at the end of the day, who would want to be under, under the magnifying glass currently as there's an increasing amount of uh, sunlight, to keep on the magnifying example, there's an increasing amount of scrutiny around that. So you'd have to be a, a sadist to want to maintain your position. So it's a starting point. I, I, you know, is that going to change overnight? Is every business involved in those sorts of things? Um, not all, but certainly, yeah, a lot of change is required and I think it's moving that direction. Is there things that you guys would like to see happening on the transparency, you know, for example, specific initiatives or things that haven't happened yet? Or do you, are you in agreement with what is happening, you know, with various industry boards releasing papers? You're kind of quite happy with the rate and, and everything that's happening or do you feel like you've got other ideas of the way that things could change? You can have a chat in a moment, Barry, about it. The... Um... At the end of the day, there's there's the practice of activities that would be considered to be wrong, but then there's the reason why they happen in the first place. I think you can tackle the activities and put the measures in place to make sure those things don't happen, but unless you're examining the underlying reasons why, um, and if they're financial reasons, where those dollars end up and what they contribute to and why they contribute to those figures, then you really won't change systems um, very, very quickly. 
because that money is going somewhere and it meets the, you know, in many cases, the requirements of some of the world's largest media groups. I think one of the other issues when it, when it all kicked off, it was like a tsunami. Where is this coming from? Where is it heading? And you don't really want to be the sort of the, the face of this. So there was a, a lot of, you know, a lot of these guys in major roles going, how do we handle this? How do we cope with this? Because they're, they're good guys. They're good people. They're, they're good, honest people. But it's like sort of, how do, I, how do I face this? And I think that was the thing in terms of the industry as such was pretty silent. Because it's like I don't want to be, I don't want to step forward and be the, you know, the voice of this or the face of this or whatever. And eventually, it sort of it got they got so much heat in it that you know you got down to okay, there's papers, there's you know there's representation boards, etc., being put forward so that we can manage this, so that we can focus on this. But I think it was that sort of first six months of oh, how do we handle this? Who's going to step forward and sort of be the spokesperson? And we copped a fair bit of heat because we we went well. This is not good. This is wrong. Um, so yeah. Look, it, it, it is interesting, you know. If if I was a client, and I thought our agency is under fire, or an agency is under fire, and the CEO um, isn't willing to comment or speak about it, as a client, I'd be going, that's odd. I think we definitely found that a lot because it's kind of the the conversation that's, that everyone's having but not having at the same time. And, and initially when it sort of became such a big hot topic, it was kind of one of those things where we knew that everyone was talking about it and everyone had a view. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. But no one necessarily wants to come forward and, yeah. and talk about that. And it's a, it's a difficult thing because it's an important thing for the industry to address and talk about. So aside from transparency being a big issue, and we know it's going to be ongoing and, and rolling into next year, is there any other kind of key themes or issues that, that's kind of on, on the agenda for you guys and or for the industry? Look, transparency is a domino um, and a bunch of dominoes that are falling over uh, that eventually fall on a place called the new media agency or the new advertising agency. All, all the domino, all that particular domino does is speed up the process. Because as transparency becomes more of an issue, it impacts bottom lines of each business who move away from that behaviour. 
Now, those businesses are already under pressure from a business model perspective. So you've got this double whammy of, um, of impact and pressure financially. And ultimately, if you're under that kind of pressure, it forces you to start correcting your business. So in many ways, it's actually a great thing for the industry. Um, and it's starting to fast track some of those things. And we're starting to see businesses like that. So the next one really has to be um, agency models. And, you know, if you reflect back a year or two ago, um, transparency wasn't the thing on the on the front page every day. It was the advertising industry is dead and we're looking for the new model. What's, um, what's come out of the, all of this is the fact that a number of really good clients, and there's been a lot of pitches this year of which you've covered, and I think that there will be a lot more next year. So they're all looking in terms of not only the transparency but also the model, the offer that you've got in the marketplace. And it's not just about price or whatever it's about your people your offering um and you know what you can uh, what you can bring to the table um you know we we won origin earlier this year it was up against the top eight agencies in the country and the night before the pitch we the three of us looked at each other and went this is pretty cool what do you think and i said i think we're going to win and it was and it was a great it was a great sort of accolade in terms of where we'd been as an agency, but it was also uh, it demonstrated how far we'd come and what we had to do in terms of our, our offering and the one which we presented. So um, hopefully a bit more of that uh, in uh, in the coming months. So talking about the kind of the future of the agency model and what model will kind of win and what agencies are, are like in the future. Atomic 212 talks about itself as a kind of creative, full-service sort of media agency. What exactly does that mean and how does that influence the type of work that you're doing for clients? When we say full-service, we don't typically mean making ads. We mean having creative scenarios, opportunities, activations, amplifications and creative thinking within the media ideas themselves. So the, the word creative in media isn't a new word. Uh, it's often used. I think what we do that's different and is certainly working at the moment is we physically have different roles that sit within each team. So we have um, a, a role, for example, that's an innovation specialist or an innovation director. And their job is to work across every brief and to work through technology-driven amplifiable ideas within the media itself that, that brings it to life. And that really, at a, at a simple, practical way, makes a phenomenal difference. And um, if I reflect on my 25, 27, no, 23, whatever it is, years in the industry. Lost count. Okay, definitely lost count. Um, one of the changes that I've noted a lot is that um, years ago, when the media planner is coming up with an idea, they would typically work through that idea. And then when they have that guts of that idea worked through, they brief the media to help them take that idea further. And they have a very deep and rich knowledge of the media. Um, we now see a lot more of um, agency staff typically briefing the media to take responsibility for that idea. So the briefs go out, they generate the brief, all the ideas come back and they work through that. Um, now, apart from the risk of moving a core, exciting and important part of what your role is to, in theory, competitors of the future, you... Um, you also have a situation where you you stop recruiting people who are creative in their way of thinking. And I think that has pulled through the industry a lot over the last 10 years. You then add to that things like, um, you know, group buying and, and larger buying structures. And then you 
you have an awful lot of buyers who are no longer creatively negotiating their rate positions on a daily basis. They're working off rates and things that have been negotiated and bought on an annual basis. So therefore, you are, you swap out your your typical creative buyers into people who are more administrative focus. So you've had this huge drain from the media industry of um, creative people, people who are naturally creative, not necessarily you know drawing pictures and making ads. Mm. Um, what we have tried to do in our business is to bring a lot of that thinking back in-house, so responsibility for the idea is there. And then you focus much more on um, building stronger relationships, more knowledgeable relationships with the media, instead of wanting the media to come to you and do your job for you. I think being independent does creatively give you an advantage there. Um, we do use, and our independent peers and stuff will use. In fact, I had an interesting conversation with RECMA the other day in terms of their, their rankings. Um, and in their independent rankings, they classify as long as you're 51% um, independent. They classify you as independent. But of course, if you're bought by a multinational and they buy 50% of your business, let's just hypothetically say it's company A, you certainly won't be buying or using the facilities of company B. So true independence gives you scope to do certain things. And once that disappears, you don't have that. Whereas, for example, at the moment in our business, we operate off one P&L. And one P&L is so important because you provide your client with an independent view. Uh, not unique to us, there are hundreds of businesses that provide the same, but it's a genuine advantage for a client. Um, we saw, I saw a great pitch document recently in a pitch that we pitched for. Um, it was a competitive one that, um, that I happened to see for one reason or another, and I found one chart really interesting, which was a, a big circle, and on it it said one P&L. Um, I have to know for a fact there were probably 11 P&Ls attached to that, and it's just interesting, you know, the... Uh, the positioning versus the ability mm. to deliver on those things. Okay, so just uh, moving on to current industry goings on, and we're kind of in the middle of the TV upfront season. Um, how does that kind of work out for you guys as a business? Do you all go along? Do you send a lot of the staff? And, and what are your kind of views on it so far? Who's been the most impressive this year from the TV networks? Ooh, Barry, <laughs> that's a question for you. <laughs> <laughs> it is. This is where you lose two friends and gain one. <laughs> Game one. Um, so I've seen two so far. Uh, I missed the uh, Channel 10 one on Friday, but I'll see it sometime this week. We've got the ad news wrap of that. So. And and we've also got uh, we've also got uh, Channel 9 coming up in the next two days. So I've seen Seven and I've seen MCN, both totally different, but both very very effective in terms of the offering, what they've got coming up, the programmatic buying. Um, you know, a, a, their product across several screens, etc. So that was super impressive. Seven bring all of their talent to life in terms of, you know, they're on stage and uh, they're mingling with the clients and the media. So I think they, they, they did that very, very well. MCN uh, was down at a, a house in uh, Mossman, so very much more sort of cosy. Um, and uh, theirs was theirs was great also. Um, so it sort of it goes to a different level because if you if you're half ordinary, the world knows. So you've got to come out of there and sort of swing the bat and show exactly what you've got. Having done one of these, and it is um, you know it, it really is a sort of it, it's a tough area. What have you got to show us? Because that's what it's all about. So Seven's offering was great. 
Uh, MCN with a connection of uh, F10s was very, very strong. As I said, nine, nines will come up in uh, the next couple of days. I'm expecting that to be really, really good. Mm. And I've missed the 10-1, but that'll be the, uh, this week. So it's, it's good stuff, um, a lot of money spent. Right. In terms of our people, we get as many of our people there as we possibly can. That's important so that they can see what's going on and what's coming up. And and clients as well. We would try and get them along to those events, if not present them internally in the agency. Um, the only thing I'll add to that is that I think they're absolutely extraordinary. And the effort they're putting into bringing those to life tells you that they are very, very serious about their roles in the marketplace and about TV and, you know, TV's... TV is still one of, if not the most powerful, emotionally powerful medium out there. And I think the upfronts, apart from just giving you a content forecast for the forthcoming year and a technology forecast, they also serve to really reinforce just how powerful it is as a medium. Do you think that swing back to TV is going to happen next year? Because there's been so much talk about digital and the, the sort of move of dollars into that. Do you think that the TV sort of swing back is actually going to happen this year? Yeah, well, look, it's that's occurring in the US anyway, isn't it, as far as I'm aware? So um, I I think you and I were talking about this the other day, James, but I, I would certainly expect that as TV matures and the content matures with it and so forth. I was just going to say, obviously, you've been in the industry for many years. How have the upfronts really changed? If you look back to maybe your first upfront, comparing it to, you know, some of the recent ones is there any kind of standout things that you say like wow they've really come a long way the amount of money the budget that's put behind it um is it's pretty much an open check because we've got to look our best you know this is a nearly a four billion dollar industry so you're not going to put on your second best sort of uh you know effort to to go on and entice clients and the media uh, media buyers etc that this is what it's all about They've also got a lot of stories to tell in terms of across several screens, um, how programmatic will affect their business, how they'll interact with us in terms of programmatic, how their uh, integration teams, right, how their insights uh, is being offered. So their offering as such is much broader than what it used to be. Their creative offering, their, their data and insights offering, their programmatic offering. So they've got a big story to tell. So they've got to go and tell it. Um, and there's a beer or two and a sausage roll attached to all of that, right? But it really is spectacular in terms of the way in which they present. Not too long, not too short, but here's the, uh, here's the, here's the level that we need to get to. And pretty much hit the spot, and I think you've probably uh, reported on that, that uh, you know, the couple that, you've, uh, that have been so far have done really well. I think one thing, actually, they probably could think about a little bit more... Um, is the individuals that get in, invited. It has, in my opinion, become a little bit more senior, a little bit maturer over the years. And um, not entirely, but to, a, to a, a certain degree. And I think that's consistent across all the networks. Whereas, um, you know, a lot of us mature individuals or more senior people, um, we have got our, our strong views built over many, many years. But we're also seeing... You know, from a, a TV buying point of view, you have millennials coming through who you haven't grown up with the same understanding of that medium as others. And uh, I think they need to be involved in that at, at a variety of different levels. And we need to challenge their per perceptions of TV as well as those that sit in between those. 
So you think it's kind of the people that, you know, the, the buyers that are on the ground doing the, making the trades on a daily basis that need to kind of be there because they might be more digitally, naturally digitally focused? Yeah, I think, I think you do need um, a higher level of that. And of course, at the end of the day, what you need is somebody to be absolutely comfortable in making the decision about selecting a network for their client and then needing to be able to present their case in a robust, evidence-based way to their client. And the greater their understanding, the better the decision, the better the opportunity to explain it. There's no point in um, in me going along and learning everything there is to know about it, but, um, but colleague and staff member number A um, not being able to use the information that I've just sat through. Um, so just finally to, to sort of end on something a bit more lighthearted, Jason, you recently sent me a book um, to mark the, the change of ad news going monthly and our sort of focus on more in-depth stories in our print edition. So you sent me a version, a copy of um, All the President's Men. So I just thought I would ask you guys all what book you're currently reading or is there one book that you would recommend to people listening that has either changed the way you do business, changed the way that you um, that you see things, or just really impacted you? James oh. does love to answer a question first, so... Uh, I can talk about the book I'm currently reading. I don't read many books, maybe two or three a year. But well, I was recent... this, is gonna, this is a real recommendation, then, if there's two or three <laughs> Well, only years. if you've been to Alcatraz. I was in San Francisco last week, so I took the opportunity to ferry over to Alcatraz, and as you get off the boat, there's an older guy there that was one of the inmates when he was 21 he's 80 now but he takes you around and at the end of it sells you a book so good marketing compelling uh, story uh, and a good read about life in Alcatraz I read the same book James and I I had my photo well, taken you the guy uh, I, I, in fact in fact when you look the guy spent 50 plus years incarcerated in fact when in the opening sort of paragraph sorry James jumping on your book but he's like sort of he was 18 years of age when he was in Alcatraz and it was like sort of his 15th offence because he was carjacking and he was... He so was, what were the crimes? He, he, was, he was ahead of his time, right? But then he went to a different scale because he needed to uh, find a job and his job was counterfeiting and sort of check bouncing and whatever else. When you read the story, it's sort of, yeah, it's quite an amazing story but it's also a very sad story that someone spent two-thirds of their life behind bars, so... Yeah, very sad. Mine is a bit different. Uh, mine's about Kurt Fernley uh, pushing the limits. So it's talking about, you know, all his uh, Paralympics. Um, also, you know, Kokoda Trail when he uh, climbed Kokoda. And uh, the dear old, uh, the, the helpers kept picking him up and he said, put me down. So it's sort of like it's quite inspirational. He's an inspirational bloke to be around, to listen to and, and to see. And, you know, he talked recently about his sort of, uh, when he ran, got a silver medal in the Paralympics and he said, the bloke that won, he said, when I knew when his wheel came up beside me four k's out, he had it and I had nothing. He said, I'd just run out of gas and he said, I decided that I'd had a, uh, a pretty good run. But yeah, very inspirational. Equally inspirational but perhaps not as deep, Alex Garland's The Beach. Um, seen the movie. Classic I want backpack a book. I once I once listened to the cassette while on holiday in Spain, and uh, I picked it up recently at an airport somewhere, and I've just been kind of flicking through that. I am a perpetual reader of many different books at the one time, so there's probably about there have to be twenty books that I've read a chapter on or two chapters, yeah, and absolutely. they either disappear and I can't find them, or I see something else and want to start it. So this one is one of those that I've come back to, and yeah, it just it reminds me of. Uh, a different time in my life and at the same time I appreciate it a little bit differently now as there's quite a sort of dark background to it a little bit Lord of the Flies and there's definitely you some start... dark undertones mm. in there it's not yeah just that's the right beach, is it? 
So perfect for the stage of my life. Well, thanks very much, guys, for joining the Ad News podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks a lot. Thank you. This podcast is recorded at the Nova Entertainment Studios. We're just looking out over the Sydney Harbour. Beautiful view, lovely day. Executive producer Andy Milne. Audio production by Shelley Clum. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.